Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful having everybody here this morning as we worship God in spirit and truth. If there's any guests with us today, we thank you for your presence. If there's any questions that you have about uh, uh, what we do that may be different than what you have done or seen in worship, please let us know so we can answer those questions. I'd like to uh, encourage our parents to continue to talk to their children about what they're learning in Bible class. Uh, I just know that with the middle school and the high school that I've been uh, working with, not just myself, but Sam Bewick and Matt Perry, who've been down there uh, helping with the class as well. We've been talking about who God is, uh, why that matters. We've been talking about what is authority, what gives God the right uh, to have authority over us, uh, the fact that we are uh, created beings and we're created in his image. And so as parents, I would like you to, uh, for those middle school and high school kids, continue those conversations at home. Uh, weekly, uh, almost weekly, we'll be sending stuff home. The, the first packet that I sent, that was six pages that some of the kids were a little taken aback by. We've been covering it for a few weeks now, and it's been going well. And next week, we're going to uh, get into what is truth. And the week after that, we're going to get into why am I here? Why does it matter? And so continue to ask those kids questions. Continue to have conversations with them just to continue the conversation at home and to help uh, cement those ideas. But as we get into today's lesson here... Um, we're going to talk about uh, Elijah. It's going to be part two of our, of our series on, on Elijah and practical lessons that we could uh, take from Elijah. You know, when you look at uh, what we talked about last week, we started to look at his what? His life and his ministry. But then we also started to look at uh, and really talked about the idea that as, as prophets of God in the Old Testament, as well as children of God in the New Testament, we never stand alone. That we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, and we know that God, through the Holy Spirit, was guiding the prophets. And so, like the prophets of old, we never stand alone. And the power of God is working within us, if only we will allow the power of God to reside and work within us. And, you know, we think about the story of Elijah. You guys remember what I said? I said, you know, he was this influential prophet that just appears on the scene, and yet he, written, he had written no book. There was no letter that was left behind in his name. There was only about six chapters that we see. He springs from the pages of the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17. And then really about 20 years later, he disappears as mysteriously as well he arrived. Because I, I loved last week when we looked at 1 Kings 17 and 1. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite. That's it. There's no history. There's no origins. There's no, there's no talking about you know, his background. It's just Elijah the Tishbite. As if he's always been there. We just somehow missed it. And so, brethren, we see about, uh, we, we think about Elijah's story here this morning. As I said, it's only told over and covered over a period of about six chapters. But in reality, his, his story, his ministry, his life, it really took on a bigger, a greater meaning. Because in, if you notice, his life and his ministry extends 800 years into the future. Because he goes into the future and Jesus himself speaks about Elijah. Jesus himself speaks about the, the importance of Elijah and that Elijah was to come. In his message of repentance, we see that Elijah, he's, a, he's kind of a type. He's a pattern of what? Of John the Baptist. You guys remember in Malachi in chapter 4, Malachi said, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and the great and the terrible day of the Lord. And so he says then, and then in Matthew chapter 11, uh, as we get to Matthew chapter 11, 
It's not going to be up there, Jim. As we get to Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah. He was Elijah who was to come. He came in the spirit of Elijah. Both of them wore a, a, a belt, a leather belt around their goatskin uh, 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 outfits. Uh, both of them were known as hairy individuals. Uh, both of them had called the people of Israel uh, to repentance. Both of them were guided by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we can see that there's so many similarities. But there are those who have studied out the, the life and the ministry of Elijah. And there are those over time throughout Christian, uh, Christian dumb who've, who've wondered, who've speculated, maybe Elijah was actually an angel. And maybe that's why we don't know more about his origins. Maybe that's why we don't know more about his parents and how he came on the scene and, and how all of a sudden God just takes him up into a whirlwind and he never experienced death. And people say, I wonder if he was, I wonder if he was an angel. But then James, in chapter 5 and verse 17, he sets the record straight. He kind of gives us the answer so we don't have to speculate on these things. He says in, uh, in James 5 and 17 that Elijah, he was a man with a nature like ours. It means that he was a human being who was, who was created, who was formed in the image of God. And he was not an angel, as some have speculated. And Elijah, he's relatable to so many Christians. He's relatable to so many Christians because at the end of the day, how many of us have not had those spiritual highs and then those spiritual lows? You see, Elijah was a man who uh, was on fire for the Lord at one moment, and at the next he's running for his life, forgetting the power of God, forgetting what, that, that God, Almighty God, the living God, is, is, has his back, is on his side. And he forgets these things from time to time. And I wonder if we forget these things from time to time. You know, doesn't life get difficult? Doesn't, you know, don't things happen and we start to question why they happened or why somebody doesn't hear the word of God? Why somebody rejects the same truth that I accept? Why somebody just fill in the blank, you know? We go through these spiritual highs and these spiritual lows and well, he was no different. We also know, brethren, that as we think about as Christians, there's some great lessons that we can learn from the story of Elijah as we look at really 1 Kings chapter 17 through about uh, 2 Kings chapter 1 or 2. Elijah witnessed amazing miracles. I mean, think about it. Ahab, Jezebel, who routinely killed God's prophets, who, re who routinely killed the bad news messengers. And why were they called bad news messengers? Because they're bringing the truth. They're trying to get Ahab and Jezebel in Israel to do what? To, re, to, have, uh, uh, to, to repent, to have some remorse for the sin, the idolatry, the immorality that is plaguing them as a people, as a nation, and as a leadership. And so Ahab and Jezebel, they routinely kill the prophets of God. And so all of a sudden he flees and God takes him to a remote place in order to protect him, knowing that uh, how many of the prophets of God they were killing. And God sends him from Israel to Sidon and then to a widow of Zarephath, which was a Gentile territory. He didn't send them to, send them to some faithful Jews off the beaten path. Why? Because they were looking all over Israel. They were looking all over Israeli territory for Elijah because they wanted to kill him because of the messages that he often brought to Ahab. And so we know that he goes to a Gentile territory in Zarephath. He stays with his Gentile widow for three years. And for three years, the, the flour and the oil, they never, they never expire. 
Because when he first gets there, he says, please uh, give me something to drink. Make me a, a, a cake. And she says, I only have like a handful of, of, of flour and just a little bit of oil. Enough for maybe one meal. And yet miraculously, what do we see? He's there for three years and that little bit never runs out. And they have enough and God provides for them. And then when her son dies, what do we see? God, through Elijah, raises him from the dead. And then Jesus uses that very story in Luke chapter 4. He uses that story to show Israel's rejection of God's prophets. And Jesus told the Jews of his day that just like the prophets of old who were rejected and persecuted by their own friends and by their own families and by their own hometowns, he says, I too am rejected by my people. But all of the miracles that Elijah witnessed, perhaps the most uh, momentous miracle was the shootout on Mount Carmel, was the contest that took place on Mount Carmel. You guys remember the story, and you remember how it ends. Brethren, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to this contest and to see whose God will answer the call, to see who God, whose God is really Almighty God. And he challenges the people, along with King Ahab, to choose for yourself this day who is God. Choose for yourself this day whom you will see in action. And brethren, the prophets of Baal, they spend all day, they're, they're, they're yelling and they're screaming and they're dancing and they're singing and they're cutting themselves and all of this stuff is going on for hours. And finally, Elijah's like, enough is enough. And Elijah calls upon Jehovah God to send down fire over his water-soaked altar and God sends it down in such a manner that he destroys it completely. And all of a sudden, the people, they declare the Lord is God. And you think, okay, they're on their way. They finally are coming back to their senses. But it doesn't last long. Brethren, Elijah, he kills the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them. And then he prays unto the Lord. And what do we see? All of a sudden, the heavens open up and the rain begins again. What a great victory. Elijah thinks that finally, my message is going to get through. Finally, Ahab, Jezebel, Israel, they're going, to change the, the, they're going to change their lives. They're going to repent of the idolatry and the immorality that is rampant amongst them as a people. But the next day, the next day, we're not talking weeks or months, we're talking the next day. Jezebel threatens Elijah's, she threatens Elijah's life. And then he flees to the wilderness south of Judah in despair, thinking that he's a failure thinking that he's alone and that he's just really, he's under the juniper tree. And he's just like, Lord, take my life. Let me just, let me just come home to you. I'm ready. These people are, these people are stiff-necked people. They just won't listen to me. I'm ready to come home. And then we know how the story continues to go on. Brethren, God appears to him on Mount Horeb. Does that sound familiar? Isn't it interesting that God appears to the prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb? That's the same mountain that God appeared to Moses. And so after displays of an earthquake and wind and fire, God speaks and he instructs Elijah. He tells Elijah, brother, you're not alone. He said, there's 7,000 of your brethren who have, not found, who have not found the knee to bend the knee to Baal. Who have not bowed down, have not worshipped Baal, have not practiced the prostitution in the temples as so many of your brethren have. There are still 7,000. You are not alone. And God gave Elijah some tasks. He gave him some stuff, some busy work to do. Go and appoint a couple kings. Go and appoint a successor for yourself as I get ready to bring you back home. 
And then Elijah, or in 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, uh, Ahaziah, Ahab's successor, he had sent messengers to inquire of an idol. And that's what I'm talking about. These people were stiff-necked, hard-headed people. They didn't just see, see the, how God calls down fire, brings fire to come down from heaven, and they, uh, they see it. They say the Lord is God, but all of a sudden Ahab dies because of his wickedness. Ahaziah takes over, and then what happens? Well, he falls through a lattice, he gets injured, he has some illness or some sickness because of the injuries, and then all of a sudden he doesn't call upon Jehovah God. He sends messengers to go talk to the pagan God. To go speak to the idol. To find out, is this going to take my life? Is this going to cost me my life? And Elijah appears, and he intercepts these individuals that are on their way to a pagan temple to find out if this is going to cost him his life. And Elijah says, you don't need to go talk to that jokester because I'm here to tell you what the living God says. And the living God says, you're a dead man. And so all of a sudden, twice Ahaziah, he sends arrogant captains who are leading 50 individuals. He's leading these 50 soldiers to go out to Elijah, and twice Elijah uh, bring, calls down fire from heaven and consumes them. Over 100 individuals died because of the sin of idolatry and immorality that was rampant in Israel. A third captain comes, but this time he doesn't come so arrogantly. He comes a little bit more cautiously, a little more, with a little more humility, if you will. And God sends Elijah to the king to deliver the message in person. And then in 2 Kings chapter 2, we see that Elijah is taken up by God, never experiencing death, in a whirlwind, and a chariot takes him up into heaven. And Elisha becomes his successor. Elisha uh, gets a double portion of his spirit. He takes up his mantle and continues on uh, get, trying to get Israel to repent of the northern kingdom. So what can we learn? What are these lessons that we talk about that are so pronounced as we really read through those six chapters? First and foremost, we need to understand that God hears and provides for the faithful. God hears and provides for the faithful. God heard Elijah's prayer in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1 for the rain to cease. And what happened? The rain ceased because God heard the prayers of the faithful. He heard the prayers of his, of his prophet Elijah. In this passage of scripture on the screen behind me, James tells us in chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18, this is where we learn that Elijah wasn't some angel. He was a man with a nature like ours. It says Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years, three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Brethren, as I mentioned earlier, God provided for Elijah uh, during the drought. He drank from the, book, the brook without worry of illness or sickness or parasites. He, he had ravens that were delivering food to him twice a day. And when the water dries up, he's not done for. God continues to provide for him by sending him to the, to the Gentile widow's house in Zarephath. And then when the widow's son died, he's not just providing for Elijah. He provides for the woman who's caring for his faithful servants. And all of a sudden, uh, he, God, through Elijah, raises her son from the dead. You know what the great thing is about studying Old Testament and New Testament history? Brethren, the great thing about studying is that we can know that God always provides for his creation. That is the reason why we continue to study the Old and New Testament, to find out who God is. 
Why he has authority. Why we follow him. Not blindly, but because God has made himself known to his creation since the beginning of time. And he continues to make himself known to his creation. So we are without excuse, it tells us in Romans chapter 1, 17 through about 32. Brethren, God especially provides for those who enter into covenant relationships with him. And if you're here today and you're a baptized member of the church, you've entered into a covenant relationship with God. Yeah. You're saying that I no longer live for Dave Shostak and my own desires, my own wants, my own needs. I turn that stuff over and now I live for God. I live for his glory. I live for his manifestation. I live to do his will and not my own. And brethren, we learn so much as we study out the story in the life of Elijah. We learn that God doesn't reject his people. God has never rejected his people. We rejected him in the garden. We rejected him in the, in the, in the uh, patriarchal dispensation. So much so that the thoughts uh, of the hearts of man were continuously evil. And he sends a flood upon the earth. We rejected them during the Mosaic dispensation as God's chosen people, the Jews, continued to rebel against him over and over for 1,500 years. And then we get to the Christian dispensation and how many of us give our lives over to the Lord and yet still don't fully trust in the Lord. We don't fully, don't fully still commit our lives to doing the work of the Lord. So you see, brethren, in Romans chapter 11, we learn that God doesn't reject his people, but his people have often rejected him. Yeah. We learn in Matthew chapter 6 that God provides for those who seek him and his righteousness. Whether Jew or Gentile, God will provide. We learn in Hebrews chapter 13 that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, says Almighty God. Because brethren, the Lord is our helper, Hebrews 13 teaches us. We learn in all things that God works for the good of those who love him in Romans chapter 8. But as I was teaching the kids this morning, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Master, and do not do the things that I say? We learn, brethren, as we study out the scriptures, that in all things, God works to the good of those who love him. So brothers and sisters, worry not, only remain faithful, for God hears and provides for the faithful. That's the first really main lesson that we could take away as we study out the life and the ministry of Elijah. But there's other things. What about the idea that God confirms his words with action? You know, I've said this many times in Bible study, and I've said it a couple times from the pulpit. We don't have a blind faith. Brethren, look at this passage of scripture behind me. In 1 Kings 17 and verse 24, the woman of Zarephath, upon seeing her son revive, said, By this I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord is in your mouth, and it is truth. Why? Because he, she just, he just raised her from the dead. You don't think in three years that uh, Elijah was passing on some of God's uh, moral standards to this Gentile woman as he lived with her in his house? You don't think they were having conversations about who Almighty God is, about who Jehovah God is? And then after all these things are happening and the flour and the oil are multiplying day after day and they're never running out, even though they don't go to the market to get more, it just never disappears. And it's an amazing thing. But then all of a sudden her son is raised from the dead and she says, by this I know. What is the point? God has always confirmed his word, his message. We don't have to 
hope it's true. We don't have to say, I, I, I think it might be true. No, we can know that it's true. Yeah. We know that in 1 John 5 and 13 or 17, uh, right, in that set, right in that passage, we know that John, who he was writing to, the apostle said, I write these things so you can know that you're saved. How can you know that you're saved? Because God is confirming his message with signs and wonders and miracles. Brethren, in like manner, God's words have been confirmed today. It's not just an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing. Because we know that the disciples, they went out and they preached the word of the Lord. And as they were preaching the word of the Lord, God continued to confirm his word by miracle signs and wonders that were accompanying their message. We learn about this in Mark 16 and Hebrews chapter 2 and John chapter 20. Brethren, God has always made himself known to his creation in all three dispensations. In the Christian era, God has furnished proof by raising his son from the dead and confirming his word by the miracles that were taking place. But that happened through about 100 A.D. And from 100 A.D. to 2023, God no longer has a need to confirm his word in such a manner. Because once the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of Christ, was completely revealed unto man, there was no longer a need to keep the miraculous. You see, brethren, we learn that despite undisputable, uh, undisputable evidence that we see that took out on that contest or that happened during the contest on Mount Carmel, that sometimes even the miraculous are not going to change the hearts of certain individuals. People's hearts may no longer, may not change as we expect them to. And really, that was the, the dregs of despair that Elijah found himself in in that following day. When no matter all the power, no matter what the people seen, that still Ahab and Jezebel wanted to remove him from this earth. They wanted to take his life, and they wanted to continue in their idolatrous ways. Brethren, Israel, like many people today, they made a verbal acknowledgement of God, but it didn't translate into a change of life. It didn't translate into a change of action. They said... When the, when the fire came down, oh, surely he is the Lord. But it didn't translate into renewed obedience. You see, brethren, we should not be discouraged when we are taking the message out to those who are in the world. We should not, uh, when, we, when we are met with failure or rejection, just understand that Jesus has already attained the victory. And we're not trying to attain the victory. We're just trying to get as many people as we can to take part in the victory. There's going to be a victory parade, so to speak. And you get to choose whether or not you're part of that victory parade. Because when God arrives and Jesus shows up in flaming fire with his angels, as it talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's going to divide the goats from the sheep. Those who do not obey, those who do not, don't know God, and those who continue in their sins are going to be the goats who are cast into hell. But those who remain faithful, those whose names are written in the book of life, they're going to be given of the tree of life to eat and to live with God eternally in heaven. So you see, brethren, it's so very important that we understand what the scriptures teach. It's so very important that we continue to study ourselves to show ourselves approved. Remembering that there are, only, there are always others. There are others who, who believe as we do. There are others who are spiritual people with hearts that are searching for the truth of God's word. So we must never give up. 
We must stay the course. We must trust in God. And the victory will be for all who make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Brethren, before I close this lesson down, the last thing that I want to, to say to you as we study out the life of Elijah is that sometimes we need some tasks. Sometimes we need some goals to keep us focused, to keep us on point, to give us purpose. You know, because when all of a sudden... Uh, Elijah finds himself in the dregs of despair. All of a sudden, God says, hey, I got something for you to do. I need you to kind of get out of your own way, and I got some stuff for you to do. I got some work for you. I need you to go, and I need you to appoint a couple kings. I need you to appoint a successor for yourself. And he tells him who he wants him to go and to, to, uh, to appoint. He tells him what he needs him to do. Why did he do that? He did that because God knows that left to our own despair, sometimes it's going to drag us down. Drag us down so much so that it's going to cause us to maybe even lose our faith. And so sometimes, brethren, God gives us tasks. He gives us goals in order to keep us focused, in order to keep us on points. Jesus told his disciples, even after they were in despair, and then Jesus raises from the dead. He says, listen, I got work for you to do. There's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. They're going to persecute you if they persecuted me. If they hated you, it's because they hated me first. And he says, but I need you to go. I need you to get out there into the world. I need you to teach people that there's a better way than what the world has to offer. And Jesus says, you go and you preach the gospel. And you teach them to obey all that I commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you do that... I, God, will add them to the kingdom. They'll have their sins washed away. They'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And brethren, God adds them to the kingdom. So God's purpose is served by the small things that we do daily. As we continue to do and use the gifts and the talents that God has given us, that we will bring others unto Christ. They're not going to come in droves. You're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. I'm not saying this to discourage you. It's the truth. It's the facts. Did Jesus convert most or did Jesus convert few? If the Son of God only had a handful of individuals who were, uh, who were uh, willing to follow him, willing to, uh, to go to the cross with him, why would we expect everybody to accept the message that we have to bring to them? Brethren, which of the prophets did God's people not kill? So we should not expect... Uh, to be victorious every time we take the word of God to somebody. We should expect failure. We should expect rejection. But just know how great it feels when somebody says, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Amen. Know how great it feels to be able to take somebody out of the world and add them to the kingdom as God does through the gospel message. Brethren, as I close this down, what are the things that, we're, that we've learned? Brethren, you study out Second uh, or First Kings chapter seventeen through Second Kings chapter one, and you learn that God hears and He provides for the faithful. You learn that God confirms His word with action, and He has done so throughout time. And that God's power over man's life is found in His word. Yeah. If you want to know if something's right or if you want to know if something's wrong, open up the Word of God. If more people would actually adhere to the Word of God, we wouldn't need so many. Uh, therapists and psychiatrists. We wouldn't need so many counselors if people would open up the Bible and submit unto the Lord. Submit unto its teachings. To, to live their lives. To treat their husbands and wives as God calls them to treat them. To do all things that God calls them to do. 
You see, brethren, as we think about the Lord, as we think about salvation, it all begins with a, with a confirmation. And that confirmation happens in the waters of baptistry. You see, brethren, you need to make a decision because faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. If you determine you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you believe that the Bible is His Word and it's our, it's our blueprint, it's our guide for life and salvation, it tells us what we need to do. It tells us that we need to be baptized in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. It says that we, we, uh, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals us for the day of redemption. And when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, God adds you to the kingdom. He picks you up and adds you to the church, not man. So if you're here today and you're hearing this message and you're still not a Christian, but this is your hope, this is your desire, you don't have to put it off. We're not like those people who once a month or once a quarter have a baptism day. When you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, whether it's right now, you come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation, or you call us up at any time. I baptize people early in the morning. I baptize people as early as midnight or as late as midnight. And I know others have as well. If you wish to make Jesus the Lord of your life, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.